We've been working our way through the books of First and Second Samuel. And over the, let's see, a couple of weeks ago in chapters uh, 9 and 10, we saw David, God's chosen king, uh, living and carrying out his role as king in a way that very much reflected the character of our God as he demonstrated and showed kindness to those who were a part of rival kingdoms. In chapter 9, we saw David extend kindness to Mephibosheth, a member of a, a, the, the rival kingdom from within the people of Israel. The next week, we saw David extend and offer kindness to those from the Ammonites, a rival kingdom outside of the people of God. But last week, what we saw is that David uh, shifted completely from being one who was reflecting the character of the God, the true king, and he began to live in such a way that he completely began to live like the king of the nations. And as, as you look and saw his reign and his character last week, you began to wonder, uh, is, does David care about is he concerned? Does he even know the God of Israel at all? It may leave us asking a question. We, we've seen this character of God, that God is one who offers and extends kindness to those who are part of rival kingdoms. But what? What about those who aren't a part of a rival kingdom? David is the king. He is definitely a part of the kingdom of God, but he has sinned and significant and heinous ways. Is there kindness for him? Does God have anything left over for a sinner like David who is denied and trampled on the grace and the kindness of his God? Or more personally, does God have any kindness left over for you and for me? We would call ourselves followers of Christ when we sin against Him. Let's turn and see. As we turn to chapter 12 this morning of 2 Samuel, if you're following along one of the black Bibles there in your seat, this is on page 263. We're going to look at the whole chapter together. We actually looked at both of these chapters two Christmases ago as we were going through uh, Advent as we looked at Bathsheba's name in uh, Matthew's account of the genealogy of Jesus. And we're going to try to approach this from a little bit of a different angle this morning uh, as we look and see uh, God's kindness extended to His people. So if you would, look with me, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12. And Yahweh sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew with him and, his, and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. 
Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As Yahweh lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of Yahweh to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against Yahweh. And Nathan said to David, Yahweh also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned Yahweh, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. And Yahweh afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David rose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of Yahweh and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you rose and ate food? He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether Yahweh will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And Yahweh loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet so that he called his name Jedidiah because of Yahweh. Now Joab fought against Rabbah and the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I've fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called by my name. 
So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and it was in a, a precious and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them toil at the brick kilns. And thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've revealed yourself. Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray and we ask this morning that you would allow us to behold wonderful things from your word. Give us understanding. Glorify Jesus through the preaching of your scriptures, we pray. Amen. In Romans chapter 2, Paul, one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons, is, is talking about the kindness of God. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 2. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So what we want to look at this morning as we go through this chapter is to see both the kindness of our God and the repentance that results out of it. God's kindness leading to repentance. Now kids, if you want to follow along, you can do one of two things this morning. One, you can draw me a picture of this story that Nathan tells uh, David with the rich man and the lamb. Or you can show Miss Susan the, the notes that you take. Because there's going to be six ways we see God's kindness in this passage. And there's going to be seven ways see, we see repentance demonstrated in this passage. So see how many of the six and the seven you can show Miss Susan or draw a picture, right? So, the kindness of our God, is it there for a sinner like David? It is. Look, first, how we see God's kindness demonstrated to David. First, we see God pursues sinners. You notice that? How it begins? Remember where we left off? The end of chapter 11, it left by telling us that the thing that David had done displeased God. Or it was evil in his eye. So what begins to happen? Look in verse 1. And Yahweh sent Nathan to David. God looks and sees the sin of his king, the sin of his son, and he comes to him. He pursues him. This is not unlike our God. This is fully fits in the character of our God. Do you remember what happened when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden, our first covenant representatives? In the midst of their sin, God comes and he pursues and he comes after them. See, God shows kindness to his people. We may flee, we may hide, but in his kindness, God pursues 
His people in the midst of their sin. You may be hiding. You may be trying to conceal it. You may think you've covered it up, but we've seen God sees it. And as He sees it, He pursues and comes to His people. In fact, He is pursuing us all this morning. Are there any of us here who have sin like David, something that we've been trying to hide, that we've been trying to conceal, that we've been trying to cover up or run from or ignore, deny? God is coming to you now through His Word. God's kindness is being evidenced to you through God's pursuit, but not just His pursuit. God not only pursues, but God also convicts. God pursues His people in their sin and He convicts us of our sin, which also flows out of His kindness. This doesn't make sense, though, in our culture. To, to convict and call what someone is doing as sin is not seen as kindness at all. It's the height of offense, abuse. To say that what someone is doing is sin. But the Scriptures don't see it that way. This is evidence of the kindness of God who would come to His people, pursue us in our sin, and to convict, revealing us our sin. This makes sense, doesn't it? How many of you would want to go to a doctor who gets these, puts you through some tests, and the results come back, and he looks at the test, and he goes, you know what? This is bad, bad news. I'm too afraid to let them know the results of this test. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to upset them. I don't want to trouble them. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to leave it alone. They're going to be better off not knowing because I don't want to hurt or harm them or chance them being offended. Is that the kind of doctor you want to go to? No. That's the opposite of kindness. A kind and loving doctor would want to reveal to you the danger that you're in. The problems that you are experiencing because the revelation of the sin is motivated by kindness to move us to healing, to move us towards restoration. Notice that's what he does with Nathan. He sins and and Nathan tells this story to David, revealing to him that he is like the man in the story who had no pity, who took what wasn't his And God tells David, you are the man, David. You are a sinner, David. You have rebelled against me, David. The language that he uses even further down as he goes in chapter, or in verses uh, 8 and 9. He says, David, what you've done is you've despised the word of the Lord. How have you despised the word? You've taken Uriah's wife. She wasn't yours. Then you sought about to kill him. And to involve other people in it. And God goes even further and He says, what you've done is you've despised me. I know you wanted to ignore it, David. I know that you wanted to call it not evil and it was good and it was okay. But you need to know, I have come to you and I am using my word given to you by my prophet to expose that what you have done is sin. Is God doing that anywhere in your life now? Are you experiencing 
what you might not see as being fun. It might be hard and difficult to hear that God would say, you, yes, you, are a sinner. You are the man. You are the woman. God pursues. God convicts. We also see what God does in showing His kindness as He disciplines. Notice as it, it, it comes up, in light of the sin that David has done, taking the wife of another and using and offending and killing with the sword, God is seeking here and He disciplines David. Notice it comes up. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, you've taken his wife. Then look what, the, what God says in verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Thus says Yahweh, I'm going to raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. You did it secretly, I'm going to do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. God here is disciplining David. In fact, he's going to involve David's children in this discipline. The one that commits adultery with the wives of David is David's own son, Absalom. The sword that comes in is going to be involved through David's sons killing one another. But even here, and this is a confusing and hard to grapple with part, this infant child of David and Bathsheba also is a part of the discipline of God. It's confusing. I don't understand it. I don't know why God needed to involve this little one. But this is what we know about the character of our God. He's good. And a good father disciplines his children. And God's ways are far above my ways. We're going to see how David responds to this. But just notice and recognize here that what's going on is God in his kindness is disciplining a son that he loves. It's illegitimate sons that do not experience discipline. But those that God loves, he pursues, he convicts, and he disciplines. Notice, as well, we see God grants repentance. He demonstrates His kindness through granting repentance. We saw this as we go through Acts. Repentance isn't something that a human works up in and of themselves. God is the one who grants and gives repentance to hard-hearted sinners. And we see here, David responds, I have sinned against Yahweh. This doesn't point us to the greatness of David, but to the grace and mercy of God that David would not remain in his sin. That David doesn't respond like Saul, which we'll touch on later. But David repents. God pursues, God convicts, God disciplines, God grants repentance. God forgives. You see what God says to David in light of this repentance? Look down in verse 13. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against Yahweh. And Nathan said to David, Yahweh also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Put away your sin. It's gone, David. I'm not holding it against you anymore, David. It's been lifted off of you, David. You've been forgiven. 
the penalty that you deserved was death. Not just for the murder, but for the adultery. Both death penalties in the law. But I am putting it away. I'm putting it aside. I am extending you grace and mercy. How is this possible? How is it possible that a just and righteous God could look at a sinner and say to him, your sin has been put away and the penalty that you deserve is not going to be counted against you? It's because of the good news of the grace of the gospel. The king David fails to live up and be is pointing us forward to the one who would come, who we've already proclaimed about the justification that Jesus brings. That the son of David would live a righteous and perfect life. The son of David would die in his place, in your place, in my place. Bringing us forgiveness. Paul also, in that, uh, later, in that same letter that he is writing, says this about our God. Um, here in chapter 3. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who to believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified by His grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Propitiation means to satisfy the just wrath of God. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can God look on David and say, you have been justified, David. I am declaring you righteous, David. Your sin has been taken away, David. It's because God is looking forward to the satisfaction that Jesus would bring. And the death of Jesus removes the penalty that David deserves. The life of Jesus grants David righteousness through faith. And our God shows kindness through forgiving sinners like you and like me and like David. What are you guilty of? Murder? Adultery? Lying? Theft? Stealing? It doesn't matter what you have done. When you look to Christ in faith, God looks at every single one of those sins and He proclaims to you, in Jesus, I have put away your sin. You are forgiven. You cannot out the grace of God. For you, yes, you, that thing that is haunting you in the back of your mind and saying there's no way, God says, yes, you can be forgiven in Jesus. God pursues, God convicts, God disciplines, God grants repentance, God forgives, and God keeps His covenant. Notice at the end, there in verses 24 to 25, 
Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went in to her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And Yahweh loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah, or beloved of the Lord, because of Yahweh. We might have been thinking, here, God is putting this little one to death. He's going to suffer in light of David's sin. Has God abandoned these promises that he's given to David? Has David's sin brought void the promises of God? Has David's unfaithfulness rendered God a way out of his promise to work through David and his line to bring one who will rule and reign forever? Here we see God is continuing his kindness because to David, this sinner, God grants him another one. Out of this sinful relationship, God says, I am bringing grace and redemption. And it's going to be through the line of Solomon that we'll see later on that Jesus comes. The one who is ultimately the beloved of the Lord. And the one in whom you and me and David and Solomon, when we hope and trust in Jesus, God looks at us and guess what he says is true of you. You are beloved in the Lord. Not because of what you've done, but because of Yahweh. Do you notice that's what Nathan said? Or that's what the passage says. Yahweh loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord, because of Yahweh, the kindness of Yahweh. Do you see? This is true. For you, God's people, you calling yourself a follower of Jesus. God is demonstrating and He's pursuing and He's coming to you in His kindness this morning, calling you to be aware of your sin, reminding you of the kindness that is on offer to you, His people, and the grace that He's extended to you. But remember, remember what Paul says, that the kindness of the Lord is meant to lead us to repentance. Let's see, how does it produce? How does it lead to repentance in David's life? The first thing we notice is there in verse 13. We've already mentioned this before, but in light of this kindness that God extends as he pursues and he comes to David, what is David's response? In light of the kindness of God, David repents. He responds to the kindness of God by repenting and acknowledging his sin. I have sinned against Yahweh. You notice how different this is from what we saw in Saul's life? You remember what happened when God sought to reveal Saul's sin to him? Saul denied it. Saul wanted to avoid it. Saul wanted to justify what he had done or call what he had done not sin and called it good. Saul would respond in the messengers who would come to convict and reveal Saul his sin by seeking to murder and kill them by throwing spears. But David's different. David responds as a member of God's people. As one of God's children who, when God's kindness is evidenced in their life, they respond in repentance, the fruit of Repentance. In the movie Snow White, 
The seven dwarves are off working, hi-hoing their way along in the mines and on the way back. They show up in their house and they, they start looking around. The things just don't look quite the same as they did when they left that morning. Things are cleaned up, cobwebs are gone, beds are made. Smells like seven little guys haven't been living in there anymore. What is this smell? What, what is this? I, I've never seen this mantle with no dust on it anymore. Something's cooking in the fire? Who's invaded our home? You see, when Snow White showed up, she recognized what was wrong. And she set work changing and cleaning and restoring things. The reason they recognized and knew that someone else was now dwelling and living in their home is because it didn't look like it looked like before. And it was changing for the better. You know that you have one abiding in you that's greater than Snow White? And cares more about what it looks like inside? And when the Holy Spirit shows up and in our hearts and in our lives, there must be evidence. Because as the Holy Spirit is at work and moving, He's cleaning up and transforming and changing things so that the present home doesn't look like what it used to look like. That's what we see going on in David. That's what Paul is warning us of. Back over in Romans chapter 2, do you remember? This is what he says when we hear it in context. Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see what Paul's saying? If you claim to be a Christian, yet you are hardening your heart towards God's kindness in your life, and you are refusing to respond to God's kindness with repentance, you continue to want to hide your sin, to avoid it, to not acknowledge it, to not respond to God's discipline, then what Paul's saying and what the Scriptures are saying is that you should not have confidence that your sin has been forgiven. You should not rest assured that you can presume upon the grace of God and say, does it really matter what I do with my sin? God's going to forgive me anyway. I don't need to deal with it. I don't need to walk a life of repentance. The scriptures say no. Do you not realize that the evidence of God's presence in your life is that you will respond to repentance when his kindness breaks forth into your life? The kids have this song that they sing. Uh, apples don't grow on pear trees. There's no apples there. They only grow pears. If you aren't seeing pears growing on your tree, you're not a pear tree. If you're not seeing the fruit of repentance and faith in your heart, in your life, and the growth of the fruit of the Spirit, then do not presume lightly that you are a follower of Christ. Hear God's kindness this morning. That may be hard to hear, but remember what we've seen? It's the kindness of the Lord coming to you and saying right now, address your sin and look to me and find forgiveness. Notice the response. David repents, but David seeks God. 
Remember what we saw last week? Part of David's sin was he failed to be in the right place and he didn't want to be near God. What is the fruit now in light of God's kindness? Look in verses 16 and following. It says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. David fasted and he wept and he prayed for seven days. Immediately, after David's acknowledged his sin, the first thing that he does is he begins to pursue and seek after his God. Evidence of the fruit that God's working and moving in his life. He's not hiding anymore. He's not fleeing anymore. He's coming into the presence of his God. David repents. David seeks God. But notice, as David seeks God, David rests in the grace of God. This is the third way we see David's repentance evidenced. Look in verse 22. David says, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether Yahweh will be gracious to me that the child may live. That's why David is coming, because he knows God to be a gracious God. Right on the heels of his sin, right on the heels of God saying, David, you're a sinner, right on the heels of David acknowledging and revealing his sin, David's response is not to hide in shame, not to hide in guilt, not to say, man, there's no way I can come before God now. I really got to get my life straight and get it fixed and get it figured out. And once I start feeling like I'm doing better and I'm performing better, then maybe I can venture and come before the Lord in prayer. Then maybe I can venture and, and, and trust that he might show me grace. No, boldly, quickly, David comes constantly into the presence of his God because he's resting in the grace of God. That's the flip side of repentance. Repentance and faith. You're turning from your sin and turning where? To Jesus. Resting in His grace. God has said, I've removed your sin. There's some of you here who you are haunted. You're haunted by the sin of the past. You've confessed it. You've acknowledged it. But it just won't lift and go away. You're afraid to come into the presence of God. You want to identify with your sin. Hear what God is saying. Be reminded of His grace. Your sin has been taken away. Rest in His love. Rest in what Jesus has done for you. Demonstrate and show and experience the fruit that comes from the kindness of God. Repent. Seek God. Rest in His grace. Worship God. You see, that that's what David does. And After it's apparent that the Lord is not going to answer his prayer on behalf of the child, David comes and he worships God. It says in verse 20, He arose, he washed, he anointed himself, he changed the clothes. Then he went in the house of Yahweh and worships. Notice, David doesn't begin to blame God and accuse God for wrongdoing for the death of his child. David rests in God. Will the judge of the, all the earth not do what is right? David trusts in his discipline. David trusts in what God is doing. And David comes and he worships the God who would work and move in his life like this. It's hard to understand. This isn't something that we are readily do in our, our culture and our time now. We are quick to want to accuse God. But notice, David is the one here who his response 
to God's discipline and the consequences he's experiencing from his sin is to worship his God. David repents. David seeks God. David rests in the grace of God. David worships God. But notice this. This is some of the fruit of that discipline of God. David now has concern for those who have been affected by his sin. Do you notice that? What's the first thing David does after acknowledging his sin? He recognizes and realizes my sin has affected this boy. And he comes and he pleads before the Lord for seven days not eating. David now has been freed up from focusing on himself, from being consumed with the glory and the pleasures and the comfort of David. And David says, now I'm going to direct my attention to being concerned about those who've been affected by my sin. And David pursues the Lord on behalf of this little one. But not only that, we also see David has concern for Bathsheba. Notice that in verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son and called his name Solomon. One thing is to notice, up to this point, she's just been called Uriah's wife. The wife of Uriah the Hittite. But now, she's David's wife. Before, remember when she was mourning before? This was mentioned at the end of chapter 11. Verse 25. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her. David wasn't concerned to enter into her pain. David wasn't concerned to enter into her suffering. David cared nothing about Bathsheba. But now, the David who has experienced the kindness of God, the David who has demonstrated repentance, and now the fruit of repentance is bearing out, he enters into her pain. He enters into her shame. David comes and he seeks to comfort and care for his wife because the grace and the kindness of God is changing him. And lastly, we see David is now present with the people of God. Remember where we started off in chapter 11? Where were the people of God? On the battlefield. Where was David? Back in Jerusalem. Notice the work of of repentance and the kindness of God in his heart. Joab fought against the city of Rabbah and the Ammonites and took the royal city. And he sent messengers to David and said, I've fought, and moreover, I've taken the city of waters. Now then, gather up the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called by my name. So, David gathered all the people together. David went to Rabbah. David fought against it, and he took it. David is leading his people. David is no longer isolating himself, but one who experiences the kindness of God and repents, then is present among the people of God, doing what God has called us to do in fellowship and community with his people, and pursuing and carrying on with the mission that God has given us to do. And then it's at the end, it tells us in the last verse, then David and all the people return to Jerusalem. What a kind and gracious God. The work that he's doing in David's heart and David's life as he extends him kindness and grace and mercy and it produces the fruit of repentance. What about you? Where are you still seeking to hide the sin that God is calling out? God is coming to you right now. This is God's word. It's not me. 
We are seeing and hearing from the Word of God that God does not want His people to continue in sin. Do you hear His voice this morning? Is He identifying and poking on some area that you are trying to hide and conceal that you don't want exposed? Respond to His kindness. Repent. Not just with words, but with a changed life. To demonstrate and show that you grip You grasp and you understand, you've experienced the kindness of our God. This is the good news of the gospel. Your heavenly Father, your Savior and your Redeemer, He's not going to leave you in your sin, but He comes to you. Hear His kindness today and repent and rest in His grace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for Your grace. We thank you for the forgiveness that you have given us through your work in our lives. Uh, We pray that we would readily see and recognize and respond to the kindness of our God in repentance. In his name we pray. Amen.